The Ad Couch by Jake McKenzie and available on theadcouch.com where psychology meets creative advertising. This is podcast number six. On the couch today is Jake McKenzie. Today we're going to be talking about the fear of loss and scarcity and those concepts and their role in marketing. But we're going to start with a story that a lot of us uh, remember. In the late 1970s and early 1980s, Coke and Pepsi were raging a fierce rivalry over market share in what we called the Cola Wars. Now, if you remember, Coke was the market leader at the time, but Pepsi was close, and they were actually gaining ground and market share very quickly at that time. And the Coke executives were really quite worried, and they thought it was, in part, the result of a taste uh, preference for Pepsi. And if you remember, Pepsi was running this thing called the Pepsi Challenge, where you tasted both of them in a blind taste test, and Pepsi claimed that they won more often than not. Thus, in 1985, Coca-Cola announced that they were launching a brand new Coke formula and they were going to eliminate the old Coke formula. The reaction was swift. Public backlash was intense as people began immediately start buying and hoarding what became known as classic Coke or even old Coke. And within weeks, Coca-Cola changed course and reestablished the classic formula and kept both formulas in the market. Well, what happened was really fascinating after the fact. Sales and preference went up substantially for Coca-Cola, effectively ending the cola wars with a decisive, if unintended, strategy. Now, the outcome was easy to explain. It was simply they took away something that people wanted. The result was not just that they wanted it more. It was that they actually demanded it. During the new Coke switch, bottles of the original formula were being sold on the secondary market for up to $100. And this is in the 80s. Decades ago, it was just an absolutely insane amount. And it's become one of our greatest marketing examples in recent times of the fear of loss. Now, the fear of loss is simply that opportunities seem more valuable to us when their availability is limited. In fact, many studies suggest that avoiding losses is twice as powerful psychologically as the opportunity for an equivalent gain. And that's really interesting because economists will tell you that those two should be exactly the same, whereas they're not. And this fear of loss even will generate a physical response, an autonomic arousal, much more so than the opportunity for an equivalent gain. And just to put it in lay terms, we hate to lose more than we love to win. And you probably are familiar with this concept, and it may go back when you first began dating. And it boiled down to we want what we can't have. If there's somebody we see and they're already in a relationship, well, they're more desirable. If our parents tell us that we shouldn't see somebody, well, we only want them more. It's the we want what we can't have boiled down. It even shows up in monkeys. There's a famous study out of 2005 by Dubner and Levitt where they taught capuchin monkeys how to use money, and then they were able to trade this money for treats and snacks. Well, after they had succeeded in teaching monkeys how to use money, they introduced some basic forms of gambling. Now, it was simply to get more treats or to avoid losing treats. And in fact, there were two options. In one option, they gave the monkeys one grape and allowed them to flip a coin. If they won, they gained an additional grape. Well, there was a second game that they taught them to play where they were given two grapes. And again, they got to flip a coin. In the second game, the coin flip determined if they would lose one of the grapes. So in one, they had an opportunity to gain an additional grape. Um, and in the second game, they had the possibility of losing a grape. Now, economists will tell you that statistically, those two games should be the same. We should have a similar preference because they're the same risk of gaining or losing grapes. You would either end up with one or two with the exact same outcome. 
Now, not surprisingly, the monkeys had a strong preference to avoid losses. They wanted to play the game where they could earn an additional grape, and they didn't want to play the game where they might risk losing a grape, even though they were fundamentally the same game. And that's fascinating because it's the same in humans. We want to play games where we have the opportunity to gain, and we really dislike things where we might lose something. And it's closely tied to a a similar concept that's called the concept of scarcity. Now, we're very familiar with the concept of scarcity, and it's the basis of a lot of stuff in our lives, including collectibles. You know, we only want to collect things like baseball cards and stamps and art when we think it's limited in availability. In fact, the things that are worth the most are often the mistakes. You know, the stamp where they printed the plane upside down or the baseball card that was recalled and never made it to wide circulation. And it's those things that have the most minute amount of availability that we will artificially inflate to be the most valuable. And it's simply because of the concept of scarcity. Now, while we're familiar with the concept of scarcity, what we may not be as familiar with is the power of the loss of perceived freedom when we no longer have the opportunity to do something. Now, this works off of the same driver. It's fundamentally that we want what we can't have. This perceived limit on our freedom to get or have something makes it more valuable to us. Now, Cialdini in his book covers a case of a municipality down in Florida outlawing some certain cleaning products that had phosphates in them because they had been deemed to be bad for the environment. Well, almost immediately, as you might predict, hoarding developed, and a number of residents turned to even smuggling in these cleaning products from neighboring counties where it wasn't banned. Now, this happens just about any time something is restricted or banned. But what's most interesting about this is not that people began wanting it, but was their change in beliefs about those products. Those people begin to believe that the phosphate-based cleaners were superior in every conceivable way. They thought it cleaned better, they thought it was more powerful on stains, and that it even poured out of the bottle more easily. Now, what's fascinating is when they interviewed people in surrounding counties where the product wasn't banned, they didn't share any of these beliefs, and it was simply because there were no restrictions. The very act of restricting somebody's ability to get something made them elevate their perception of it, and that's a really powerful concept. You know, the fear of loss and scarcity together forms a basis of a lot of our marketing. Most people view it in terms of retail marketing, when people are running sales events, Uh, Hey, you can get a discount, but this weekend only, or there's only a few of these vehicles available. And it often serves as a tool, not just in marketing, but certainly with salespeople. Now, let's spend a few minutes talking about how marketers can take advantage of this concept and how to leverage it and when to leverage it. Well, the first is fairly obvious, and that isn't limiting the quantity of something. So you might be running a sales event that says, hey, there are only five at this price, or simply inventory is limited, or this is a limited edition uh, version of this product, or maybe the art prints are going to be numbered so that you know there are only a handful of them. And even having the possibility of a future limit is very strong, especially if that information is not seen as widely known. The second way you can take advantage of this is by adding a time limit to something, and we call this the deadline tactic. So these prices or this sales event is only good through this weekend. In the digital space, we're beginning to see, hey, you've got to complete this transaction within the next five minutes. Ticketmaster does that on their side if you add tickets to your cart. And those have a very similar effect. It creates this inherent pressure that we've got to go ahead and get the deal done. A third way of taking advantage of this concept is simply by framing. If you talk about something in terms of a loss as opposed to a potential gain, it has a stronger effect. 
So your current, you may say that your current product is costing you an extra $200 a month. That phrasing works much better than by saying this new product will save you $200 a month. Now you're saying the exact same thing, but the phrasing is much more powerful if, if you frame it in terms of a loss. Now, that fear of loss triggers a stronger emotional and physical response. The fourth way marketers can take advantage of something is simply removing availability. If something is not available for a period of time, like Coke Classic, even in markets where they did not have an affinity for that product, it will create an increased affinity. Tougher to do, particularly convincing people that uh, sometimes not having it available is a successful driven mechanism. You see this often at the beginning of product launches when it's unintentional. Hey, we've got a new product out, but it's going to be on six weeks of back order. The very phenomenon of having a back order will help elevate the product's perception as well as the demand for it. The last way that sometimes we see this take place in the marketplace is instilling a fear of future limits. And I saw this a couple of years ago where there was a story that came out about uh, French wines. Um, And the article was simply saying that they might have some production issues over next year's vintages. Um, They might not be able to produce as much. Well, the effect was immediate. Prices in the United States raised substantially, and their growth increased in double-digit percentages because people had the same effect. Oh, if I'm not going to be able to get this in the future, I better go ahead and hoard it now. Now, it turned out to not be true at all, but by that point, people had forgotten. They were still happy they had their cases of French wine stocked away in their sellers. And it was that fear of a future loss. I hope you can see that the fear of loss and scarcity can be very powerful human drivers. And they're also great examples of how fundamentally a lot of our decisioning is based in irrational thinking. But I also hope it gives you an opportunity to see when it occurs in marketing and guard yourself against having it affect you. Questions or comments? Tweet us at The Ad Couch or visit us at theadcouch.com.